Hello, I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast, brought to you by DairyReporter.com, the global source for daily news on the dairy industry, except on weekends and holidays. Speaking of which, next Friday will be the last podcast for 2018. That's assuming someone somewhere will talk to me. Next Friday is also the last day for regular newsletters before the Christmas break, although there will be two special editions going out on December the 27th and 28th, highlighting our biggest stories of the year. Some are a bit surprising too, so look out for those. Of course, news doesn't necessarily stop just because we do, so if there's any major breaking news, I'll be sure to update the website as quickly as possible. It reminds me a little bit of my days as a newspaper editor. Now, of course, most newspapers are part of a chain of papers, and they vary from big to small. One of the newspapers based in a smaller community, a sister publication of ours, didn't really have a lot there, except for a wildlife park nearby, a school, a service station and an airport. And, of course, because of that, they had a reasonably small staff. One Saturday, there was a huge cargo plane crashed at the airport. A major incident, obviously. Fortunately, no one seriously injured, but because it happened on a Saturday, none of the staff bothered to go, because it was the weekend, and they weren't at work. I admit it was pretty inconsiderate of the plane not to crash during the week between 9 and 5, but that's news for you. Speaking of news, only this time in the dairy industry, we have a couple of interviews for you today. One on a US company, IDC, taking its products to Pakistan, and another on the acquisition of a company in Bahrain by Arla Foods. And, of course, we'll have our weekly update on the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone. First this week, the news came through that Danish dairy cooperative Arla Foods has bought Mondelez International's processed cheese business in the Middle East region, which is currently licensed under the Kraft brand. The acquisition also gives Arla full ownership of a cheese production site in Bahrain, which Arla said gives the company the opportunity to further expand its branded cheese production in the region. We talked to head of Middle East and North Africa at Arla, Rasmus Malbach-Kelsen, who is based in Dubai, and given how cold and miserable it is here, I stayed well clear of the weather and instead asked how long he's been in the region. So I've been in, in Dubai since 2008. I've been in my current role uh, since 2012, but I've been in the region for somewhat longer. I started in Beirut in uh, 2000, actually. It's 18 years now in the region, but 10 years in Dubai. So obviously you have uh, a very good grasp of the, the market there. I guess I do. I mean, the, the trick is, of course, not, not to become complacent and think you know it all, because that's really dangerous, right? So, um, I, uh, but, but you're right. I, I have a pretty good sense of it. And this is definitely a big deal for Arla. I think we're all excited also, also because from an international footprint point of view, I mean, the Middle East is, of course, quite important to us. And doing a deal down here has, has for some time been, of course, on, somehow on the wish list, but it's been difficult to find targets. We, we, we want it to be right, and, and, and those targets are difficult to find, I guess. Of course, Kraft is a very big name. It is a big name. It's, it's a strong brand. Uh, they have a huge, uh, long heritage here. And what geographical market is it already operational in, in the Middle East? The Kraft brand is definitely, they're having a stronger heritage and position in the Gulf countries, Saudi, UAE, Oman, Qatar, Bahrain. They do have presence in other markets like Iraq, uh, Lebanon, uh, a bit of North Africa, not much, but but I would definitely say, uh, you know, their stronghold 
is the Gulf countries. That that's where they historically has been operating in a in a in a very strong way. Bahrain is um, not usually doesn't usually come up in discussions. It's usually sort of Saudi Arabia, um, UAE. Is there a specific reason why the company was originally based in Bahrain? It's funny because we we did have that discussion with them, uh, you know, when we had our kind of management talks, and 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 I think they did quite a nice uh, due diligence uh, back then. Uh, and, and Bahrain is a nice place, very business friendly. I also think that that the proximity to Saudi is also interesting. Of course, that you can actually drive there in in, in a few hours with a, with a truck, right? So. So you get maybe, you know, you get the, the nice business climate combined with the proximity to your, or to one of your biggest markets at least, uh, which is a good combination. Definitely. And geographically as well, it's close to UAE and Dubai and close to Qatar. And You can drive to the, uh, you can drive to the uh, Gulf countries. Alternatively, obviously, shipping time would be very short. So, yeah, it, it, it is nicely located. And I think uh, we have a very strong Business in Bahrain is a small population, so it's obviously not uh, so huge. But now that we've kind of, you know, we went into this case, we, we definitely see the advantages of being there. It's, it's very interesting. And there's a plant involved with that in uh, in Manama. Is that going to be something that you'll need to make any changes to? The site is, is one of the, the strong reasons why we actually got a strong interest in this deal, because the site is state-of-the-art facility, to be honest. It, it's won several excellent awards and all, all the supply chain people that we sent there they, they came back very impressed it's a facility where you can you can expand it has free capacity already and the, the build-up area is uh, is interesting but you can even build more uh, if you need so uh, over time so so really really an interesting site for us for now uh, we have enough capacity so and, and I, I think that we will have enough capacity at least for a couple of years but there are there are opportunities at the current site to expand as well so i think I think that, that that's very promising and, and, and gives us, uh, you know, a great deal of confidence that, you know, we have the right side uh, in our hands now. And what does it mean for the future of, of Arla in the Middle East? I think this is very important in the sense that we were already discussing, you know, how to accelerate growth. I mean, this gives us access to categories that we haven't been playing in before. So that's a growth opportunity and we can start playing that much harder. It's very strategic to us, and we were already kind of looking into some investments in our current sites, and getting this site in our hands will mean that we now can we're able to consolidate, you know, quite nice into, into the Bahraini side and, and, and thereby, you know, drive scale and efficiency. That's also very important apart from the growth opportunities, of course. So, so it is very important to us, definitely. Sure. And what operations do you currently have in the uh, MENA region? From a production point of view, uh, we have our site in Riyadh running today. From a, from a, you can say, a commercial point of view, we actually have subsidiaries and joint ventures in eight countries. Uh, most of them, again, in the Gulf, but we also have uh, JVs in Lebanon and in Iraq and in Egypt. And it's quite quite a, a big market when you consider the region as a whole. Yeah, I mean, the population, obviously, if you count everything, is close to 400 million. Now, we are, we are not current today playing towards all the 400 million people, but, but you, you could argue that there is still potential to grow. Uh, I also think it's fair to say that at least some of the dairy categories, that, you know, the, the penetration of some of these are, are still 
to the low side, I think you could still drive per capita consumption and, uh, and, and household penetration. So that's obviously what we're looking for going forward as well. I think the proximity to the market becomes more and more important as we move forward and driving, I mean, b b because, and it's fair to say that the past couple of years in the Middle East, I mean, the macroeconomic, uh, you know, climate has been a little bit tough, to be honest, since the oil price crash in 2014. Uh, but I think it's also important that you look at, at both, of course, trying to drive growth, but also look at ways of driving efficiencies and driving costs out because it is getting more complex and it is also getting more costly to operate down here. So I think you need two agendas in order to succeed, you know, a growth agenda, but also an efficiency agenda. And I think we are trying our best to drive both, of course. And I think this acquisition is also, you know, driving growth. And of course, this is already a well-established brand. It is one of the oldest dairy brands in the Middle East, to be honest. I mean, the craft cheese in tin has been here for, I think, close to 100 years. So it is a well-established brand. Now, obviously, you have your own brands. Will you maintain the craft brand or will you incorporate that into your other brands in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at least short term, we will we will obviously keep the brand and build on the equity. I think I think long term, it, it is clear that strategically, we are, we are very much focused on our Pook brand, that is the franchise that we've been driving very hard uh, for many, many years and will continue to do so. And, and, and I think over time, I mean, I, I think it could make sense to to migrate, you know, some of the products into, into the Pook brand, uh, which is, you know, our strategic backbone. Next, it's over to New York to speak to Greg Abbott, chairman of IDC. International Dispensing Corporation, or IDC, has established a regional office in Dubai to enable, coordinate and execute turnkey solutions for a large format aseptic package with its tap, called The Answer. First, the company is looking to penetrate and transform the dairy industry of Pakistan and subsequently those of neighbouring countries with similar dairy issues. I asked Greg about the setting up of IDC, Samir. It's from Southwest Asia, Middle East to Africa. And, and, and rather than set up you know, IDC Pakistan doing the region, and, and the man who is heading this up for us used to be Tetra Pak's managing director for the region. And so he really knows the region. He knows Pakistan very well. So Pakistan is the world's fourth largest dairy consuming country. There's about 210 million. Only 8 to 10% of the milk in the countries is, is actually packaged, which is a frightening thought. Even the milk that's in the packages, that's aseptic and supposedly, is suspect because it's still taken from collection centers and you don't really know what's in these in the milk, but, but most of the milk is served loose. It's in open vats. And it is raw, unprocessed milk. It's commonly spiked to get more volume. And I hate to paint such a dire picture, but, you know, it, it has chemicals sometimes to make it look white, like melamine, which is uh, banned in China. And so it's, they ladle this milk into a plastic bag. The plastic bags are either delivered home or they're, you know, they're purchased at the milk shop, and the contents have to be boiled. That's a huge amount of milk they use. You know, what we're 
doing is doing uh, processing right near the dairy farms. I mean, it's, it's absolute fresh farm milk that's aseptically processed and served in a bag and box. And so a housewife, instead of getting one delivery every day, waiting around for the guy on the bicycle to drop off her bag of milk, for example, uh, they'll get one delivery every two weeks. And it could be a five liter, a 10 liter box. And you dispense it from our tap and the tap will keep the milk shelf stable for the use life of that package. And then we'll get another delivery. So they don't have to refrigerate it. A lot of people don't have refrigerators. And so we actually package some bag-in-box milk in Germany, and we send it because they don't have bag-in-box capability over there. They do have a septic processing, but not bag-in-box. So we ship some over. We, you know, the, the, the milk was held up at customs, and there was, you know, issues with that. So I, I just mentioned that because, you know, went through some wear and tear and heat and everything. And then I, I, it was finally, when we got it, we distributed it to... Uh, one of our customers has a very strong marketing component, and they sent a few thousand boxes of milk into a sample in Karachi, you know, of, of different households. And literally, virtually, it was virtually unanimous in terms of the, the the wow factor and the acceptance of this package, and the willingness to pay even a little more if, if we had to because they know it's safe, they like the milk, they love the, the, the gadget, the answer, we call it, and um, they indicated a, a definite desire to buy it. I think 25% of the Pakistani food budget, the average Pakistani, is milk. So when we look at this, you know, we see a swath of about, I don't know, two and a half billion people well, we can make a huge contribution to the health and safety. You end up with a closed system that is requires no handling, there's no cleaning, there's no product waste. When will the milk be available commercially in Pakistan in this? They need um, bag-and-box fillers because we rather make it locally. Fillers are about to be ordered, and let's say there's a four-month process. So I would say by Q2 of 2019, will start ramping up, and it's a huge business for us. I think that the Pakistani government, what's, you know, they would like to impose higher standards for sterility with the milk, but because 90% of it is at loose milk, it's sort of unrealistic, you know, given the reality over there. We're in a position where we can transform this, and the market is, is absolutely huge. It's a good business opportunity. It's also a great opportunity to help people. And it's nice when those things line up. Now that I'm back home again for at least a few weeks, it stands to reason that Liam Fenton from INTLFC Stone is traveling. One of these days, we'll either both be in our homes at the same time, or we're going to bump into each other in an airport in Belgium or somewhere. Anyway, we finally tracked him down, and he's here to give us INTLFC Stone's weekly update on the dairy market. Butter remained constant this week in futures, uh, where quarter one was trading around the 4350 to 4400 level. We saw some support coming from end-user buying again this week, and some trade selling. However, processors have been staying back from the market. 
cream on the other hand has been a lot weaker trading at the 4500 to 4600 level as seasonal demand which peaked about two weeks ago and now we're into that christmas period where cream demand is weakening Skimmel powder has been definitely stronger this week. Uh, quarter one trading at the 1800 plus level. Volumes have continued to be significant again on the future side as the market has looked to buy and we see some processor and trade selling. We also had the O'Neill tender this week, uh, which along with the EU intervention tender sales, where there was a significant increase on previous tenders. We had over 60,000 tonnes of product leave intervention stock this week, uh, almost double the last intervention sale. Quay was trading closer to the 775-780 euros uh, level, similar again to the end of last week. Thanks, Liam. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tools and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. That's all we have time for this week, so please join us again next week on the Dairy Reporter Dairy Dialogue podcast. <laughs>